go to kpfa.org forward slash crafts fair. This is a benefit for KPFA. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB, KFCF in Fresno. Cover to cover, reel to reel begins now. Good afternoon and welcome to Cover to Cover, Real to Real, or as I like to say, Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and for the next half hour, I'll be talking about one of my favorite subjects, film. So today, we're going to talk about a film that really thrilled me in a whole new way, Rocks in My Pocket, which is the new animated film from Latvian-born artist and filmmaker Signa Bauman. It tells five stories about the courageous women in her family, and their battles with madness. But, of course, that doesn't even do justice to what the film is about. The film uses very interesting um, art to tell the story. It senses an animated film. So today we'll talk with the director. I want to wait. Uh, welcome you to KPFA. Thank you so much for having me here. So this is a film that you did using a combination of paper mache stop motion and classical hand-drawn animation. Uh, what inspired you in the first place to uh, tell the story in film? Um, just the subject, you mean? Like, um, I uh, the first thing was that I have made the 15 short films, and I felt I wanted a bigger challenge, and I felt the next challenge, the biggest challenge I could take on as a filmmaker was uh, to make a feature film, and as an animator, and it's a big challenge because there are many things that have to come together, including financing, but also my own abilities to tell the story, to tell the arc. Um, as to the subject. I was interested in I like I, I'm as a filmmaker I always I always choose the subjects uh, on matters that bother me or they um, come to my like attention sharply. So I made quite a few films about sex and uh, birth and dentist and uh, you know so there are these things that come into my life and I say okay this is this is the subject my next topic of my next film um and depression i never thought about depression or any family history for that matter i just you know you just live through it and then um when i started to search uh what is gonna my next project what is going to be about i was like well you know i made these sex films and i think about sex every nine seconds but every 12 seconds i think about i wouldn't say killing myself but erasing myself just like not existing and those are very funny thoughts like where they come from and why is they absurd and so i started to develop the idea started to write script and but um it couldn't be just a film about my you know thoughts about you know what not uh obsessive thoughts um so i thought okay i write a story about my family a little bit for five pages you know because my family history is very rich and so once i started writing family history of you know under the angle of mental health it's just the story just poured out and i couldn't stop till it was done that's amazing so here it is the film starts uh talking about anna your great grandmother your grandmother, who uh, who was raised in Latvia, and you tell her whole story. So in some ways, we also get Latvian history uh, in the course of thinking about um, Anna and her life. Uh, so you never knew Anna, 
but you only knew her through stories. And since you're telling your film is about stories through stories, uh, I wonder how you wound up, um, I don't know, conceptualizing her story. Um, the her story was not handed to me in like one plate. Uh, there are these little bits and snippets because her story was secret. And for a very long time, I, I couldn't put the picture together because I was not, um, I didn't have enough life experience. And as the time went by, I, I started to realize that there are these little snippets that I now, with my life experience, are able to connect the dots between them. And so once I started to connect the dots, this story emerged. And of course, um, it's, a, it's my subjective idea about what happened, is my point of view, uh, it's my kind of interpretation of what Anna might have felt or what her motivations were. But since, um, but yeah, we never met. She died before I was born, way before I was born. Uh, but I feel kinship with her that I, you know, and not because she's my relative, but because we, I assume we go through the same affliction and um, and that makes me feel very close to her. Although I also have uh, the other side, which is her husband, Indulis, my grandfather, who is adventurous, opportunist, um, you know, the, the the entrepreneur and that's my character too and for and I in the family there's a lot of lore about him like oh he did this he did that he did this so he's more exciting character whereas Anna had the dark secret that people didn't want to talk about and that's kind of interesting so how did you do research I mean it's almost like you had to do self-analysis in a way that you had to go into yourself to understand something about who Anna was yeah, that was, uh, the, the going inside me is like, it was a, it's a scary, it was a scary, um, journey, I would say. Um, I mean, I, I am pretty self-aware and I analyze myself on a minute basis, but putting that stuff uh, into, uh, into the into the script and to write about it and then make it visible to other people uh that's uh, you know i'm still not sure like i still feel it makes me feel vulnerable it makes me feel exposed because i really opened my dark room to everybody to look at and to to know to examine um, but yeah, but but uh, like as a as a for the, for as a material as a research that was a hard one to do too because once you start thinking about you know depression and how it feels and you try to describe it you have to go there and once you go there you have it you feel it it's there and so it's like you know when you when you uh, think of food you get hungry right even if you're not right and if you think of sex people having sex you get horny and so when you start thinking about well how do i feel when i get depressed and before you know you get depressed so it was hard um for me to do it but uh, as a family history uh i had an, a lot of material over the years uh and when i was 18 um I met uh, my grandfather's son from first marriage, who was around 91 at the time, and he invited me to his house. 
And I came in and I was just this young thing and he was telling me all these amazing stories and they're like, like, something I never heard and people were sheltering me from a lot of that stuff right and he just went ahead and openly with no bars held back or however the expression is right he was not holding anything back just telling everything and I was feverishly writing these notes and I knew this is gems this is like pure gold in my hands and I knew that he's gonna die soon because he's 91 and I was just writing it down and thinking that that would be like a future for me. And then, uh, you know, 10 years passed, and now I was like 28, and then I opened these notes that I wrote down, and and I was horrified how stupid are 18-year-olds, like how immature and how I was not able to analyze the information. And you write, you try to write down whatever, you know, what everything, right? Uh, and when you write down everything, you don't write down nothing. And the filter, you know, only later when I started to study philosophy, I learned how to write things down, how to analyze, how to... um how to how to deal with information and how to put it down, how to store it. And I was eighteen year old, I didn't have these skills or, you know and so the notes are practically useless. But you know, some of the stories are so striking that they really stayed with me for a long time. In your film you talk about sort of uh five different women, including yourself, who've suffered from depression, some kind of uh overwhelming emotion. So there's one thing doing the autobiography about yourself, but certainly depression is something that is kind of kept hidden. So what was it like exposing the history of these other women as well? For me? Yes. You know, um, they are my cousins and I love them. And um, I felt it was important to tell their story. uh, I don't know. It's I don't know what I was not thinking that maybe it would help other people or not. But I, I like I, it, the whole film is a poem, is a love poem to my family, to Anna, but also to these three young, beautiful, talented women who didn't survive that overwhelming emotion, and I was the only one who was able to deal with it or to manage it or. For whatever reason, you know, I I was able to go into the dark place and walk out so I could tell my story. Um, but um, but uh, in in some ways, let's say Linda's story, I I felt that I was very sarcastic and ironic because uh, the whole story seemed kind of on borderline funny, you know, like because it's absurd what happened and uh only only now when i recently watched the film again and and i looked at the film and i thought no 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 wait it's not really as funny when you i think the renter is the villain and i didn't see the renter i thought the renter was the victim of her madness and only now recently after i made the, i made the film i realized that the it renters it was renter's fault in some to some extent you know because he was misleading the woman he was not telling her the truth and so she crossed the line from reality into the, the fantasy and he wouldn't tell her that she entered that 
the territory of fantasy because it was very beneficial for him to have the cheap rent. So that was an interesting uh, kind of twist for me. It was like how the story changed for me after I made the story. Like I was like, ah, oh, I wish I understood that before I wrote it, you know. But um, anyway. So you're basically, you're writing a story and then you're coming up with the animation to go with the story. And then when you look back at the film afterwards, there's other things that you're noticing that you couldn't notice during the course of actually making the film. Yeah, I mean, that was like, that was one example. But uh, of course, you know, when you make the film, it is kind of like... uh, who you are at that given moment and making the film kind of educates you professionally but also as a person so you learn things about you that you didn't know before and yes uh, like I wish I could go back and redo some things, rewrite some things but you, I know a friend, I have a friend, a filmmaker friend um, who every time when he finishes the film, his film, he starts changing it because he changed during the two years while he was making it. And so 10 years later, he's still tinkering with the film because he says, well, now I see I could change this, I could change that. And I'm like, you have to stop at some point. You have to say, this is it. This is carved in stone. <laughs> and then you move forward to the next film and hope that next film would be better and and like closer to who you are at that given moment you know but uh, but anyway uh, talking about technique you asked about technique uh, it is actually a unique technique I haven't seen films like done in this technique a lot like the mix of the two techniques of stop motion and hand drawn animation uh, and so maybe just maybe I don't know enough about animation although I've seen a lot of films and um, but you know it's the digital age made this possible so I think that uh, I hope to see more films like this but what I did was um, three dimensional uh, paper mache sets uh, so they were made of paper mache they're three dimensional and we had the camera digital camera that had zooms and pans and, and you know all kinds of camera moves with these three-dimensional objects so the the the, the there there's the f- sense of three-dimensionality and then on top of that i do flat drawings uh, on paper and then uh, i scan them colored in photoshop and then combined in after effects with the three-dimensional objects with the three-dimensional sets so there's this feeling of three-dimensionality and kind of also flatness because the characters are flat and a lot of people have told me that when it takes them about half an hour to understand what i'm looking at (laughs) because the backgrounds they look like paintings they look like little blurred out of focus because that's what the background is and there's actually uh, uh, possibility of changing the focus and we change focus time to time the, the depth of a field we play with that so it's all very exciting for me because it expands my uh, toolbox my palette as a filmmaker you know rather than doing flat animation and also for audience animation can be very exhausting experience because everything like when you watch flat animation you have to suspend your belief for like half an hour let's say and after that half an hour you feel a little tired because you the brain works a little bit harder because also animation is uh it has a level of abstraction that live action doesn't have so a lot of times when you have like a lot of short films in one program people get tired out 
at the end. They're like, oh, God, no, I'm ready for a nap now. Because your brain have been working over time. Um, in my film, because there's this feeling of three-dimensionality, and the audience has a little bit easier time to suspend the belief. Like they say, oh, this is real, this is three-dimensional, this moves in a way that I recognize. It has a sense of, it's a world on its own. It's not flat, it's three-dimensional. And so the audience is drawn in with better ease, you know. And also with all this like parallax, which is like when you pan, the, the objects move at different speed. And the viewer's eye, I don't know why, but they love, look at this, you know, the objects moving at different speed. You know, the closer objects move faster, the farther objects move slower. That's parallax. So, and so as a viewer, as an audience member myself, every time when I see a pan in a movie, I just, I just, it just relaxes me. It's just, I enjoy it. I like looking at a good pan, you know. And so I try to make these pans. Uh, and it also kind of like makes me do maybe less animation by hand, you know, because I, I was the only one who did the whole animation. Like all the, it's about like 30,000 drawings and I did all them. And I did also paper mache sets um, by myself. But, you know, it was a very tiny uh, team. Um, I had um, theater director Sturgis Warner who helped uh, uh, to direct my voiceover uh, because my voiceover had to be directed because I'm not an actress. And he also helped with lighting. Um, and now he's a co-producer. Then uh, I had uh, two young women. One of them was uh, Wendy Song Zhao. She was editor and compositor and uh, also he, she painted and put things together and Rashid and Nasir who was uh, coloring everything and making also color choices and production manager so it's a very very small team when you think about it like like Disney has thousands of people working in the movies we're talking with Signa uh, Bauman. Her film is called Rocks in My Pocket, and it's showing uh, at the Roxy in San Francisco and the New Parkway in Oakland. Now, so this is an animated film, and you came up with the story, and then you had to do all the drawings, which I don't know how long that took to do 30,000 drawings. But uh, did you storyboard in advance, or did you start playing with the... Uh, uh, the animation to sort of come up with the structure for the film? Well, when you have a voiceover as a blueprint uh, for, uh, like, it ha the voiceover we recorded first, so it was like a structure already of the story, of narration. So in some ways I was free to throw in any crazy images I wanted, and the audience would still stay with me without really saying... Some, you know, they would say, well, that was a crazy image. Where is it coming from? But the voiceover is already moving on. So you don't have to, it's like kind of easy to be, to play with like interesting images that strike your fancy. So I don't, that's a, this is a controversy that I'm going to say now. It's like kind of like people don't like to hear it, but I don't like to work with storyboards. <laughs> uh, because for me, storyboards is, are, um, Kind of like when I used to work with storyboards, like I do one draft and then I do another draft, you know, and I do eight drafts on average. And, and then for me, the film is done. 
like I already seen it in my head eight times, like or more than that. And when I have to sit down and work on the on on the storyboard, I feel like a slave of my own storyboard, and it's not exciting because the most creative part of the store, story has been done. It's a storyboard. So I decided, like um, around 2005, that I will not work with storyboards, and it it adds kind of a level of stress on my working day because, like, sometimes you like. How do I get out of this? Because, you know, sometimes you paint yourself in a corner, right? And like, you, you know, how do I go from this image to that image that I have to have in order to make the story comprehensible? And so then it's kind of, you know, nerve wracking to get out of that <laughs> corner. But, uh, but it's also exciting because it's, uh, it's creative. Like every day is creative. You come to your, you know, the work table and then you say, I don't know what's go- what I'm going to do today. And then you do it. And uh, usually I, I do storyboard like three minutes ahead because I have to know what are going to be, what I have to build paper mache sets. So you kind of have to know what you're going to do. But for example, for the Irba section, the four minute section, I said, well, that story, I want to do chess. And I, I don't know why I choose chess, but it's it just like in the middle of project, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm coming closer to Irba section. I wonder what set I'm going to make for her. And I woke up and then I said, that's chess. And so I, I didn't even know what exactly she's going to do on this chessboard, but I built a chessboard and I uh, got these chess figurines. And, and then when we took pictures, I started, the story started to emerge what the chess is going to do. That this is going to be the worst chess game ever. And that uh, everything she does is like so wrong. And the the blacks don't even obey the rules, the black chess figures. And they just crush her and that's it. And, uh, and I thought it was a symbolic representation of sometimes, you know, how we play the chess game life. It's a kind of a game, right? And chess is that. Um, you know, there's a lot. Of, they say that chess is representation of love, like love. Sorry, life. It's like a, a like a like rules, and there are many many billions of possibilities of the playing the game, and the same how in life, you know. And so, and there's this winning and crushing, and and you know, there's all these similarities is life and so sometimes we ourselves don't play the game right and so we we lose (laughs) (laughs) well so you're talking about something that just shows you have remarkable creativity that you could wake up and come up with this but you started by saying thinking about depression leads to depression so how did how did you manage these two different sides the creative side which is sort of enlivening and the depression side which is so um deadening well, I know I'm bipolar, so I have the kind of the joys of this highs and then pain of the lows and 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 actually when you're high, it's not really good either. It's like you get your your thoughts run too fast and uh, um, you get paranoid and all that. So it's not really so so great. Um, but you know, somewhere in the middle, there is a good point. You know? But uh, to me. Um, I uh, the, let's say when I was working um, on the film, depression does hit me twice a year, no matter what, no, no matter what I do. And so when it hits me, uh, I would still force myself out of bed, although I don't feel like it at all. And I would go 
to my table and I make sure I work from nine till six. And even if I'm so in so much agony, so much pain, and my head is seems so clouded, I cannot have any thought, but I force myself to work because I know that if I don't do this work, nobody else will be able to fill it for me. You know, like nobody else can do the work I do. Let's say if I've worked in a bank or I was a janitor, you know, in an airport, which is my career, um, as you say, the, the, uh, uh, like I say, this is my plan B to be janitor in the airport because <laughs> I love airports. Um, uh, so then, you know, if you don't show up for work, they find somebody else who could do it, right? But in, in case of my, my work, my work as an artist, if I don't show up at my working table, there would be nobody else who would be able to do it. And so I have to do it. So I sit at the table from nine till six, no matter what I'm going through. And at the end of the day, I created maybe three drawings, like in my worst days, or, or none at all. And everything seems so dull and not interesting and uncreative and horrible and then uh but i continue on i i force myself i said i have to produce my three to ten drawings a day and i just force myself and then uh, and although they seem like complete you know crap i still say i continue on i continue on and then i look at these drawings you know three weeks later when i you know i'm on my way out from depression and say wait, it's not so bad. Like, So you can't really evaluate your work while you're in the midst of depression. And it seemed like a horrible, it's like uncreative and dull and not interesting. And, and then, you know, when you're out of it, it's not so bad. So, um, so yeah, but let's say on the manic phase and I'm an upswing, you know, then I create sometimes 80 drawings a day and they seem like perfect genius. Like... <laughs> And then, of course, when you go down, you look at this drawing, you're like, oh, you know, it could be better. So, you know, it's like, um, you know, you can no, you can never know. But the, what I one thing that I discovered for myself, I just have to keep working. If I'm down, if I'm up, I just keep working, and that's my savior. Now, the film is narrated with your voice in English. And um, you were originally raised in Latvia, and then you studied in Russia. Um, if the film was narrated in Russian or in Latvian, how do you think the story would unfold differently? Well, um, we have Latvian version. We did record the film in Latvian. It was released in Latvia in August in Latvian. Yeah, my voice telling that story. And yes, in uh, Latvia, in Latvian version, uh, the story is quite different uh, because also it's my native language and also... Um, because you don't have to explain a lot of things to Latvians. Like, for example, Kamchatka. You know, like, when I wanted to go to Kamchatka, the farthest point in Soviet Union from Latvia, I do have to explain that to English speakers, because not every American knows where Kamchatka is. Whereas Latvian, when you say Kamchatka, they know exactly. So there are, like, things that, that like that, but... Uh, of course, it's a different language, and we had to match it with different, like, we had to match it to images. So, I, I think it's, it is different. I just don't know how, you know, it is different. Uh, yeah, like, because, like, for me, when I watch it in Latvian, it's, like, completely Latvian. It's, like, completely normal. And I watch it in English, and it's in English, and it's completely normal. So, I, I don't know if... um 
I don't know how to compare them. So you think your mind works the same in both languages? Uh, no, I, I think that... Um, like I speak three languages fluently and uh, every time when I speak in Latvian a different um, uh, side of my personality comes out and in English it's a different side and in Russian it's a completely different side and so but when you are speaking that language you can't even think about what is this other side of me Latvian so so when you enter that water like you're like you can't enter these two waters at the same time it's like a, the different parts of my brain are activated by three different languages strange oh. <laughs> So interesting. We're talking with Signa Baumann. Her film Rocks in My Pocket uh, is showing right now at the Roxy in San Francisco and the New Parkway in Oakland. It's a, a remarkable animated film that features pa paper mache stop motion and classic hand-drawn animation. And uh, it tells the story of um, uh, five women. It's a feminist, powerful tale of how to uh, get in con contact with one's artistry rather than uh, killing oneself. Um, so I want to thank you so much for joining us here on KPFA. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, this has been Raina Cowan. You've been listening to Frame to Frame. I'll be back next month for another edition where we look at film. Thanks so much for joining me. The KPFA Crafts Fair is our largest annual off-air event and takes place at the Craneway in Richmond on December 20th and 21st. You are invited to join the KPFA Crafts Fair team. Friendly, reliable volunteers are needed to help staff the doors and assist exhibitors at the fair. Your help is invaluable to the success of our event. And this is a great opportunity to come to the fair as KPFA's guest in return for working a three-hour shift. We need your help Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. To sign up, contact Felix at 510 